trying to think if anybody in here would have been alive when President Calvin Coolidge was in office. I know I'm going back a long way here, but Calvin Coolidge was president from 1923 to 1929. So if you was born any time during that time period, you would have been alive. But I think everybody's probably a little more recent than that. But Calvin Coolidge was from Vermont. He was the 30th president of the United States. He was called Silent Cal. He had actually been vice president. Warren G. Harding was the president. And Warren G. Harding had a series of health episodes in 1921. He lived about two years, but he was in San Francisco in 1923 and he died. And so Calvin Coolidge as vice president then would become president. Coolidge was from Vermont. He was actually at his parents' house in Vermont. They had no electricity. They also did not have a telephone. And so someone somehow made it to his parents' house, knocked on the door and said, in not so many words, you're president, right? Well, Coolidge, who had been asleep, wakes up and says that he prayed and then he went downstairs and his father, who was a notary public, swore him into office. At which point he went back upstairs and went to bed. Now, can you imagine what a night that, I feel like he woke up that next morning and thought, what, was that all just a dream, all right? Well, he was called Silent Cal and the reason was is he said he didn't tell, he wouldn't, Give a, he didn't talk a whole lot. Well, there's a joke that goes around about him that he and his wife one Sunday morning were getting ready for church. And she ended up not going. So he leaves. And whenever he comes back to the White House, she asks him, she said, what was the sermon about? And he said, sin. And she said, well, what did he, what was his thoughts on it? And she said, and he said, he was against it. All right? Well, today we're going to talk about proper attitudes towards sin. But if you want, we can just quit right now because we'll just say he was against it. And we'll, we'll be home. Y'all may be there before the restaurant even opens. But anyway, when we talk about this proper attitude towards sin, the reality is that the preacher of Calvin Coolidge's church was right. All right? I mean, I'd say we would all say that. But we're going to try and go a little bit deeper into it here as we go. This is the third of five sermons where we talked about sin. And last Sunday morning, we talked about the origin of sin. This sun, or last Sunday night, we talked about the danger of it. Well, today we're going to talk about proper attitudes toward sin. And what we're going to look at, uh, if, if we think about Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, it says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? And so if we have a proper attitude towards something, we would say that that's in our heart, then our actions should reflect what that attitude would be. So that's what our goal is right here. We're going to look at three, or excuse me, four things this morning. Four attitudes. The first one is to admit. Okay? The second one will be to shun. The third will be to resist. And the fourth will be to conquer. So we're going to go through each of those four things over the course of the morning. So let's go ahead and dive into it right now. To start with, the first thing here is to admit. Now, for each one of these, you're going to see the top line here is the definition. This is the by-the-book dictionary definition of what these words are. You'll see it for each of the four that we put up there. But let's start with... This idea of to admit, all right? And to admit is to confess 
something to be true, to confess something to be the case. How many of you have ever watched a movie or something like that, kind of a crime show or something like that, and the police have the person that they've accused of this crime, and they say, just admit it, you know you did it. And they say, no. Well, we say, oh, they got all the evidence, you're in trouble. But we do the same thing, right? We often know what we've done wrong, but we're reluctant to actually admit that we have done wrong in the process. So let's talk first about admitting sin. First, we got to admit that we are guilty of sin. You say, oh, well, no, 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 well, no. Well, yes, 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 yes. Because as we looked at last week, everybody falls short. Everybody is guilty of sin. In Psalm chapter 32 and verse 5, we read, I acknowledge thy sin to you. And my iniquity or my sin, I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions or my sins to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sins. We see David writing here in Psalm chapter 32 or Psalm uh, chapter 32 and verse 5 that he acknowledged that he had sinned. Ben did something this morning. He said, put your name into that verse. And we in a verse in our class. And we can say that same thing. Well, first of all, we have to be like David. We have to acknowledge. We have to recognize. We have to say, yes, I have done wrong. Okay? And in my sins, I have not hidden. That's the second one. It's easy to say, no, I ain't done nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. Done nothing wrong. But when you've not done it, when you have done something wrong, you've got to figure out a way to keep people from seeing it. So the second thing is we have to uh, admit we've not hidden anything. And then as he said right there, I will confess my sins to the Lord. But we have to also realize we're going to make mistakes. So how do we fix that? We have to admit, first of all, the mistakes that we've made. All right. So that's the second thing. Then. If we're admitting that we're guilty of sin, second, we have to admit that we are responsible for the mistakes that we have made. That might be even tougher. Let's think about a couple of people real quick. First of all, the first example of sin that we see in the Bible, we talked about it last week with Adam, right? We went through chapter 1 of Genesis, and everything seemed fine. Chapter 2 in Genesis, everything seemed fine. Chapter 3 in Genesis, it all went downhill, right? We got about four pages into the book, and we was already falling away. We were already making mistakes. But when Adam sins, what's the first thing that Adam did whenever he was asked about it? He said, no, 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 this woman, right? That, this woman that you gave me, I think were the exact words. At no point was it, oh man, I messed up. It was this, this, this. Adam was what, if we want to use something from another president that said he was passing the bug, right? He was sending it on to somebody else. Adam's not the only character in the Bible that we see that with, though. If we go a little bit further... In Exodus chapter 32, verses 21 through 24, you may remember Moses had been up on the, on the mountain, right? And Moses, he hadn't been up there too long, but he came down and what had they done? What had the people at the bottom of the hill done? They had made a golden calf, a statue, an honor uh, whenever he comes down. Well, Moses was up, Aaron was down, Aaron then blames the people. He said, nah, they did it. That, that, was, that was their idea. That was their thought. You may remember in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, Saul was supposed to destroy everything. You remember that? When they go into the war, they're supposed to, they're supposed to kill, destroy, get rid of everything in that story. But what happened? Well, they let a few things slide, right? They kept some of the, kept some of the best sheep. They kept some of the best oxen. They kept some of the best lambs. Because they said, well, 
yeah, this is, this is probably, we probably need this. We probably, we don't have to follow exactly because we need, this is probably better. Our way might be better. If we're not careful, we will admit that we've made mistakes, but we almost will immediately want to say what? But here's why I did it, okay? I messed up, but it was actually her that caused me to mess up. Okay, or if we think about it, it was I did this, but I was just really trying to do what I thought would be better for everybody. That's why I did it right there. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to admit that we sin, and we also have to admit that we are responsible. When it comes to sin, as you can see, we have to admit our own faults first. All right. So our first thing here is we're going to admit sin. Second, we need to shun sin. This is not a word that we use a whole lot, but as you can see here on the screen here, to shun is to persistently avoid, to ignore, or to reject through antipathy or caution. There's a word called shun piking. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. But in the early days in our country, one of the things they started to do is they started to build turnpikes. They needed roads. And we think about roads today and they're paid for by tax money, but taxes wasn't really the same back then. And so they would build these roads and they're going to build it from your town to my town, but you're going to have to pay money to travel on that road. That's called a toll road today. My guys that are truckers, y'all probably are familiar with those from time to time. But what people would do, they would, it was called shun piking, they would find a way to get around that road. They'll drive a little further out of the way because I don't want to pay money toward that thing. So to shun is to just completely to avoid, to ignore, to try and move away from that. We see some biblical examples. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22 we read to abstain from every form of evil. I don't know that the word abstain and the word shun are the exact same thing, but they're very similar. Right? If you are shunning something, you are trying to go far away from as possible. To abstain Tells us the same thing. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 says, We're to flee youthful lust. Well, let's talk about that word flee for a second. If the road says you can go this way and pay a toll, or you can go that way and avoid it, we're going to try and flee and go the other direction. We're trying to shun sin as it were. Model prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says in the model prayer that we should lead, or we should pray not to be led into temptation. Remember that verse right there? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why should there be any temptation in the first place? That shouldn't be a problem. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that we wouldn't be tempted without a way of escape, right? But it's going to be there. There's going to be things that are tempting. We talked about last week how that answer is different for me than it is from you. But there's going to be temptations that we would come across. So... We can't pray not to be tempted and then immediately rush into occasions of temptation. Think about that for a second. If I were to pray, dear Lord, lead me from temptation. And then it's like, what's the worst thing I could do right now? Well, what good was my prayer in that situation, right? I've sort of jumped into a situation that I have been praying to try and avoid. So if we're going to shun, we have to go completely away. We have to pray, but we also have to do our part in the situations that we find ourselves. I have kids at school 
that seem like they just always get in trouble. And you just want to take them and say, at some point, please go down this way in the hall instead of this way. You know, every time you walk this way, you get in trouble. Why not go this direction instead? But they sure do. I was trying because I'll be better. I promise I'll be better. They walk out the door and they go this way immediately, right? And so you're not really shunning wrong if you're sort of diving right into the pool almost immediately. We have to think the same thing. In shunning sin, we can't play with it. We can't see how close we can get without falling in. You've heard those examples before, right? You're walking on the side of something. You ever seen somebody walk on one of those wires connecting two high locations? Those people that walk. I've never seen anybody run across one. You know what? This is hard. They got to walk right there and they got to put one foot in front of another and they're balanced and they're doing all this. And one falls smooth and what's going to happen? They're going to fall in. You ever seen people practicing? You know what's under them? A big net, right? There's a big net to catch them, but they don't usually put that net under it whenever it's a performance at the circus or at a show or whatever. We can't handle sin that way. We can't walk as if it's a tightrope and one false move can, swir- can drop us into it. The problem is there may not be a net there to catch us. In shutting sin, we have to think about what Romans 13, 14 says. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Otherwise... Don't put yourself into awkward, difficult situations. All right, so we've admitted, we've shunned. Now we need to resist. We know what a resistance machine is, some kind of workout machine. All right, those things are terrible, right? We all know, you can tell from my physique right up here that I'm wearing that resistance machine. I'm resisting the machine, we'll put it that way. But the whole point of it is, is, you know, when you're doing these kinds of workouts, there's resistance that's happening. It's making you work harder. Because if workouts were easy, we'd all be doing it, right? It'd be fun. But the problem with working out and doing any kind of weightlifting or resistance machine is it's really hard. And when you get done, everything hurts. And they say, go back tomorrow because it'll feel better. And I say, never go back again and you won't feel like this ever again. I think that's the way, I don't know, that may not be the best example. I don't know if my personal trainers that might be in here might not agree with that. But to resist is to sort of go against something as it were. To withstand the action or the effect of it. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we're told to do a couple of things. And these all fit with the idea of resistance. Turn to that verse real quick because it's not up. I think the verse is, but the words are not. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we read. Tell me which one of these, or think to yourself, which one of these words mean resist? Be sober, be diligent, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him... Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, first of all, the word resist is there. But there's a few other verses that are in that, a few other words in that verse that seem to be talking about resistance as well. To be sober, to be vigilant. You are resisting something right there. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to resist. But it feels like I'm being pressured. I'm the one that's dealing with it. The end of verse 9 says, be sober, be diligent. At the end of verse 9, it says to resist just as others in your brotherhood are as well. How many of you have ever thought, why me? 
You ever had that thought? Why, why does this all, always happens to me, right? Always happens to me. You know how many people thought, why me, yesterday? Probably about as many people as there were in the world, right? There's always something happening to somebody. And if, we don't, if we're not careful, we sort of pity ourselves and we think, hey, this, I'm the only person being challenged. I'm the only person that's being <coughs> tempted. I'm the only person that's having to resist. How many people in this room have to resist sin and temptation? Everybody does. The Bible says everyone in the brotherhood does, right? Well, I don't know how many people are in the brotherhood. There's a lot of people in here right now. And I know there's a lot more than just us. And so this idea of resisting is something that we have to do. James chapter 4 verse 7 says something similar when he says, resist the devil. And then it says what? And he will flee from you, right? So he said, well, resistance is good. Now, if I go back and work on that resistance machine tomorrow and the next day and the next day, what's going to happen to my physical fitness? It's going to improve, right? Well, if James is right in chapter 4, verse 7, if we resist the devil, what's going to happen to our spiritual fitness? It's going to improve, right? It's going to flee from us, and that's going to make it a whole lot easier. Jesus resisted the evil in Matthew chapter 4. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Every single time when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was presented with some kind of temptation. How did Jesus respond every single time? He quoted a Bible verse every single time. When our, res- when our resistance is challenged, when our temptation is put in front of us, how do we need to respond? We need to respond with the Word of God, right? Amen. But how do I know how to respond? i got to know what the Bible says. i got to be in the Bible. That's got to be my front-line fight versus this kind of temptation. Still the last one. Last one is to calm. Had two definitions for calm. First one was to successfully overcome a problem or weakness. That's a pretty good definition. I think that works. It's Webster said it was good, so I'll take it. But it also said it can also mean to climb a mountain successfully. We've probably all watched Price is Right at some point in our lives, right? You know that one game on Price is Right, they had a little mountain climber, and he climbs up there, and they play that yodeling music, and as long as he doesn't, you know, you, you, get, you pick a few prizes, and you got to be close, and he gets to here, and you're like, oh, he's, we're going to win, and he keeps getting up there, and you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, and then all of a sudden, he gets to the top, and he really, and he falls off to the edge. Well, I, we were watching an old episode of Price is Right last night. I will readily admit that my favorite part was when he fell off the edge. That, I liked that the best. I just, I don't care if they didn't win their uh, toaster or their, you know, bag of purses or whatever it was. Bag of purses is probably not right. But anyway, I didn't care. I kind of like to see him fall over the edge. But that little guy was going up the hill, right? But to climb a mountain is to conquer something. You are successfully there at the top. And sometimes people make it all the way up there to the top. And it's like, yes. I don't know what I would do if I reached the top of the mountain, but I feel like my arms would go up in the air at some point, right? Well, when we think about conquering sin, that's our fourth and final attitude right there. We're not to commit, not to continue in sin. Our scripture reading that Ben read just a moment ago tells us to crucify sin. In fact, the first couple of words, it said, should we continue in sin, does it not? And say, let grace abound. It depends on what version you have. Ben was reading right there from the New King James. It says, certainly not. 
Old King James gets a little harsher, says God forbid, but it seems like both of those are a resounding no. All right? So we have to fight that. We have to take those sins, as it were, and to crucify them, to hang them on the cross, to rid ourselves of those. Now, drastic measures might be required. Turn over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We'll start with verse 43. Now when I say drastic, I think we know what the word drastic means. It's sharp, it's harsh. But this is Jesus talking. Mark chapter 9 verses 43. And we're going to go down through 48. Mark chapter 9, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, this description is what a writer or English a writing teacher would describe as hyperbole. This is making something really big. You know, this is not specifically saying, hey, you need to go out, cut your eye out, or cut your arm off, or cut your foot off. But this is a drastic measure, right? There is something that has to be changed in order for us to conquer. Does that make sense? There has to be some kind of change. And if that means taking the hand off, well, we don't need to go home and cut your hand off. But what that's saying is you will be a completely different person if you only have one hand rather than two. Think about that for a second. How many things do you use two hands for? Try and do everything today with one hand behind your back or one hand in your pocket. It's going to require a whole different way of life. Try to do everything today with one foot or one foot held up like this. It's going to change everything that we do, right? Put a pirate patch over your eye and try and do everything today and see how different your life would be. What this is saying here, what Jesus is saying here is that drastic changes have to be made in order for us to conquer sin. Amen. If we think about conquering as climbing the mountain, I can't climb the mountain today, Right? I can't go out and climb Mount Everest right now. I'm not in shape for it. I'm not physically fit for it. I've got to prepare myself to be able to do it. I've got to change everything about what I'm doing right now if I want to climb Mount Everest. Well, if I want to overcome sin, I've probably got to change everything about what my life is as well. has to change in order for there to be a conquer. Now, truth is there, though. The truth is there in what Jesus said. We got to conquer sin, or sin will conquer us. Somebody's going to win, right? Somebody will win. So am I going to win, or sin going to win? Well, the thing is, we are the ones who get to make that choice. We get to make that decision. So what's going to help us to have the proper attitude toward sin? Huh? 
you can see a couple of things right up here. First of all, we need to remember that sin caused the death of Jesus. That's the first thing, all right? So if we remember that, then we can think, okay, well, if I'm okay with this, then I'm okay with the death of Jesus. Now, I will readily admit that the death of Jesus allows me a chance to go to heaven, but I sure don't like the stuff that Jameson talked about this morning up here, right? I don't like the fact that Jesus had to go to the cross for all that kind of stuff. It worked out for me in the end, but he had to suffer a lot in order for that to happen. So we need to remember that, first of all. Second, sin is the one thing that keeps you out of heaven. If you knew that you were trying to get into something and you had to bring one item and you didn't have that item, that's going to keep you from going. We went to a ball game Friday night. We had to take, I had already bought our tickets. We had to have those tickets. If I'd showed up to the gate and said, I don't have any money, guess what they probably would have told me? Don't get to go. Well, sin is the one thing that will keep us out of heaven. So how do we get in? Well, we got to avoid, we got to get rid of, we have to remove sin from our lives. Third, sin doesn't go easy. You know, there are some things that I have never been tempted by. Probably the same for you. But there are other things that make life difficult every single day. Probably the same for you. If the, if the rule said, well, you can do this and it'll be okay, as long as you don't do that, you'll be fine. Well, that sounds really good. I could do all these things over here that bother me and I don't have to worry about the things that that's not what it says, right? Sin is what keeps us from heaven and sin is what we have to overcome in order to get there. The word conquer implies something really difficult. The person at the top of the mountain with their arms raised up has went through something really difficult. My hope is that all of us can do each of these four things. That we can admit, that we can shun, that we can resist, and that we can conquer. Because the thing is, when we finally overcome all of those things, one of our last memories of people is when they are in that coffin, when their life is over. We see them laying down, but the reality is, is their soul is standing up with their arms straight up in the air because they have overcome the difficulties, the troubles, the trials of sin, and they have reached a home in heaven when their life has ended. My goal, my hope is that we could all have that same thing somewhere along the line as well. So today, if there's anything that we can do to help change, help fix, help conquer, whatever we need to do to affect those attitudes towards sin, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing. Be with me, Lord, I am.